everybody. Bah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Russ. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Home on the RNG. You know what I've realized is it's we've done 40-something episodes, and I don't remember the last time I said, this is Jeff. And this is Russ. And we're also yeah. I don't. I feel like we really don't say that. We don't even say the name of the podcast. (laughs) Well, they've already got the podcast if they're listening. But I mean, brand recognition. Welcome back to Home on the RNG. Very good. This is Russ, and this is Jeff. Yay! And I'm Anne Hathaway. (laughs) Welcome, Anne. How are you today? (laughs) When Home on the RNG started, it was a video series, and each episode opened with tiny little skits. That did identify us by name. We did 31 video episodes, and we never reused any of the little skits, so we had to come up with 31 original ideas for me and 31 original ideas for Russ for, like, three-second skits. What were we doing back then? We were living our best lives, (laughs) and then we realized it was a lot of work, and so we turned it into a podcast. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Living our best lives. But we are not here today to talk about the history of home on the RNG. Thank God. We are here today to talk about Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross. I'm so excited. I really am excited. This is one of my top five games of all time. I also love it. So let's go ahead and dive into personal history. I played, this came out when I was a senior in high school, and I bought it at a music store for some reason that had video games as well, and books, among other things, but that's where I got it, and I didn't really know anything about it. I knew I knew from seeing like a review in a magazine that it wasn't Chrono Trigger 2, so I didn't have that you know looming over my head when I purchased it. Um, And I actually, the first time I played it, didn't love it in the way that I do now, because I didn't totally get it at first. But then on a second playthrough, I really, like, understood and appreciated what it was and have loved it ever since. It is also part of the reason it's one of my favorite games of all time is because it is what taught me to appreciate music in video games, period. Nice. So my personal history, I I bought this... Okay, so... (laughs) I'm like trying to decide if I want to do the long version or the short version. I'm going to do a slightly long version. I want the medium version. The me- Okay, well, let's do a medium <laughs> version. Okay, so I uh, I bought this game based on, on the hype that I already had for it in the early internet days. But uh, it's one of the first games I really bought that brand new with my, uh, with my shiny new paycheck at my shiny new job post high school. And I bought it and Final Fantasy IX in the same like at the same time nice so it was like uh i forget which one is newer i think nine so chrono cross had kind of been out for a while yeah chrono cross actually came out in 99 in japan and nine yes. was in 2000 yes. if i'm not mistaken yeah i think yeah. you're right and i was working in 2000 so that that makes sense so i bought both those games in the same weekend from walmart it was a very good weekend and yeah i played chrono cross and i really really liked it just right out of the gate i had beaten chrono trigger about seven or eight times at this point and, you know, I didn't look at it so much like a sequel to it because they never really said that it was a sequel. They're kind of like, this is the next Chrono game. And I was kind of used to, because of Final Fantasy to games being like, this isn't really a continuity of the previous thing. It's just its own thing. And so I really liked that it was like um, now more actiony because uh, I had played Legend of Ligaya. So I was kind of used to that whole combo system thing mm-hmm. already. I was accidentally kind of ready for this game <laughs> and uh yeah the music and gears wasn't xeno gears before this yes but i didn't oh, play it. okay that's, um, that's the one that i played was xeno gears yeah that that's my my dirty secret is that i have <laughs> yet to play xeno gears i've only seen like a little bit and i've heard some of the music so yeah i just motored through this game and in fact an early internet guide introduced me to the internet celebrity jeremy parrish who uh, whose website at the time, Toasty Frog, I then visited. And from there, actually collected a group of friends who were also, like, fans and, you know, just fellow video game likers. And from that friendship became my first 
trips to Austin and eventually my first living situation in Austin. Basically, this game indirectly caused me to move to Austin and change my entire life. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's the medium version. Gotcha. Fair enough. The short version just doesn't have that bit about me liking the game. <laughs> in the same way that Earthbound inspired our entire friendship. Yeah. I enjoy that story. Yeah. yeah. God, I shared that story on Reddit recently because there was a reddit post about how do you make friends that play jrpgs and so i i talked about how we met and i've told this i was playing earthbound on an emulator in lap on my laptop in the back row of class the kid next to me leans over and goes is that earthbound i love earthbound and then we became best friends yes exactly uh, that would be how you'd become best friends back that was, in the day. Yeah. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> it yeah. was 20 years ago. And uh, I put that on Reddit, and the first response was, you were in college 20 years ago? You must be so freaking old. And 21, was, excuse me. 21 uh, years we ago We met now. in the fall of 2001. Yes, and it is so, summer of 2002. All right, fair enough. Yeah, it's, so weird. That's we're not, it's almost, not officially almost there. That's that's basically the era where if you bonded over Earthbound, then you are you are best friends. Yeah, that's true. That's how it worked. Uh, yeah. Other people were posting. Wait, they had emulators back then, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. Um, didn't I, just as a aside, didn't Chrono Cross kind of start Jeremy Parrish's whole? Yes. thing like that was it uh that, i didn't remember if i confused him with someone else his, or... so he he wrote a game facts thing about the demo for it even before the game came out and it was it was comedy flavored and uh <laughs> if if not outright hilarious yeah, right. it was it was a comedy flavored <laughs> thing and then he expanded that to be like kind of like a a, a whole thing on game facts and yeah that's how a yeah, lot of people yeah. found his blog at the time which kind of almost predated the term blog. I remember him being resistant to the name. But yeah, that's how a lot of people found him in that era. Yeah. Um, certainly how I found him. So, yeah. Um, so, so like the other two, I also bought the game when it came out. But apparently I'm the only one at the table that thought I was getting Chrono Trigger 2. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I've said, I mean, you weren't the only one in the world that thought that. So I've said this many times, and I'm going to try and make this the last time I say this, talking about this game. It is a shitty sequel it is a great game. Okay. So when I when I played it when it came out, I was largely disappointed. I mean, so the mechanics and stuff were neat and interesting, but I was largely disappointed that because there are ties between it and Chrono Trigger, just enough to make you go, oh, oh, it is the same. Oh, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Okay. <laughs> that's, oh, oh, that's the guy from, oh, oh, we're done with that. Okay. All right. Thanks. Like, there's just so, enough to whet your appetite. I, I don't know if we're planning on getting into this argument now or later in the review, but I would argue it's less of a sequel and more of an alternative universe because you're dealing with a game that originally had branching timelines. You know, this is just a, one of those timelines. Yeah, yeah that's, right. That's how I've always taken it. For, all, for the longest time, I thought of it as the two universes, because it had been a while since I played it and I'd forgotten some very specific plot points, but I thought the two universes were the one where they defeated Lavos and the one where they hadn't. Uh, they and we were just in one tiny yeah, corner of that world. Yeah, they defeated Lavos. Because yes, you... Yes. Yeah. I, but this was... When I was younger, that's sure, what I thought it yeah. was, was the difference. I mean, it incorporates a world where you don't beat Lavos mm -hmm. at the end, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you guys did have the years right, 1999 in Japan, mm -hmm. 2000. Developed, I want to say it came out, Square. if I'm not mistaken, I this came out in the United States in the summer of 2000 because that was before I started my senior year of high school and that's what I played like at the beginning of my senior year and then I got Final Fantasy 9 for Christmas in 2000. Yeah, that's when I got a job so, so that makes sense. that yeah. tracks with my experience too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and move into story and characters. This is going to be the bulk of the podcast. Yeah, this is. Let's let's there's, go through all forty-five characters one by there's, one. There's two hundred and seventy characters <laughs> and three hundred and seventy story. So, <laughs> forty-five characters and three are consequential. You're popping well, you, your paper. The uh, the foley you need for this is slamming down a hardcover book. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've gotten used to the paper pop sound. When a young man finds himself transported to a parallel world where he died ten years before, his quest for answers leads him on the adventure of two lifetimes. 
Oh, that's cute. I like that. That's cute. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy trying to sum up the entire plot of these JRPGs in a sentence or two. Yeah. Um, Surge. It's fun for me. The young yes. man's name is Surge. I was always disappointed that it's not Sergei. Yeah. I think I said, I said Sergei. I think I originally. tried to for a while. I, I was like, I totally read it as Surge. I was like, okay. But then he's... I got that his name's Marge. So it's Surge and Marge. Oh. And then they call him Sergi. Like some of the Sergi characters Poo. call him Sergi or Sergi Poo, which doesn't yeah. make sense with like Sir Sergei Poo, Sergei, or something. I, yeah, I, I realized that his name was Surge immediately because I was like, oh, this game deals with the ocean, so the ocean's right, in there. Yeah. Surge, that's how they name things. So many Square games. You had Squall, you had Titus, you had yeah, Cloud, Cloud, yeah, Surge. That's just what they did, and the they movies. all love the image of a. Uh, an anime boy falling through the sky upside down. <laughs> oh man, that yes. was that was like the biggest innovation of the PlayStation era for sure. Because you never saw that in the Super Just, Nintendo. Right. <laughs> I feel like my entire life has been watching anime boys fall upside down through the sky. <laughs> so before we get into the characters, because there's so many characters, I do want to point out. So the first time I played this game, I, I I overall didn't care for it that much. I played it later as an adult, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I played it for this review, and I landed in the middle, honestly. And one of the biggest reasons for that is the game was pushing a particular agenda really hard. It was pushing real hard the idea that humans are awful and destroying the world. Do you disagree? I'm not saying that I disagree okay. with it, but the, the way the game tries to prove this is the story of the Hydra and the dwarves. Oh. Right? You have, at one point, Kid, one of your party members, gets poisoned. And you have a story branching option. And the option is either, I'm going to find a cure for this poison, or I don't know what to do. If you choose, I'm going to find a cure for this poison. It leads you on a quest that you're on rails. You can't get around this quest. You have to go to the Hydra Marsh and kill the last remaining Hydra in this world. They were already wiped out in one world. And the, env- the environment went to hell, and it's toxic and ruined because the Hydra is what purified the water. But you switch to the other timeline, and there's one Hydra left, although everything is still toxic and awful. And you have to kill the Hydra to get the stuff to kill Kid, or to cure Kid. And there are dwarves that live in the Hydra marshes, and once you kill the Hydra, they can't live there anymore because it's toxic like it was before, mm-hmm. but fine. There's one way around that. (laughs) Later, you encounter the dwarves again on a fairy island full of happy fairies and blue water, and it's a good place. And they say, we learned it from you. We learned it from watching you. So they invade and kill all the fairies and take over the island because that's the only way to survive, and we learned it from you. And you're supposed to feel really bad that you have destroyed the environment. The only thing I did was say, I want to help my poison friend. That was the only choice and, I made. And well, you made the wrong choice. That That is, yeah, it's really funny how that's the worst decision you can make in the game, not only for the characters it gives you yeah. as a result and the characters you miss as a result, but also I just love that it's the worst decision you can make in the game. And it's totally the, the if you've played a lot of RPGs or, you know, you just know the, the trope of yeah. a hero, you're like, okay, well, we have to do something. Yeah. I, <laughs> you assume the game would force you. The game tries to route. make you. F- yeah. Honestly, the first time you play through this, you would think, I don't know what to do would be a OK, but really, you're not going to help them. And then the dialogue yeah. option comes up again because a lot of games do that. I refuse to feel like a monster for saying I want to help my friend who's been poisoned because that's all I did. From there, the game had me on rails. The only way I could have not destroyed the fairy home by proxy <laughs> would be to turn off the game and walk away. But the game was trying real hard to make me feel like a monster. Yeah. It just bothered Which me. predates Undertale by like 16 years, I mm-hmm. think. Something like that. Uh, they also talk about Lavos infecting apes to turn them into humans, and they're part of Lavos, and that's why they're antithetical to the environment, because Lavos has mutated us all to make us hate the planet and i'm like uh i played chrono trigger ayla and her tribe existed before lavos and they were pretty human before lavos came they cleared out some trees they built a settlement like normal human they were using english they were human their brains were almost as evolved as the people from the modern era so, again, I, I don't know what point you're really trying to prove here, 
but you've been disproved so, by your own games. There's a, uh, yeah, and in fact, there's an ending in Chrono Trigger, one of the 15 or so, where if you beat it at a specific time, you kind of ignore the plight of the 65 million years ago people, and so the, uh, the reptites take over, and you arrive back in the future, and it's the exact same future, except now everybody's a reptite and humans are rare. <laughs> except for... Except for the, 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 the one guy running the race. The, ra- the guy running the race, yeah. In the original game, there's one reptite yeah. left in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, it's like one of those things where it's like, well, okay, then Lavos didn't really do anything like yeah. that wouldn't have been done already. So that was one of my biggest issues. Um, Interesting issue. I've never heard that before. The game was trying real hard to push an agenda that didn't work. And they were trying to make me feel things that I didn't feel they earned the right to make me feel. Okay. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Don't, Don't try and tell me I'm a monster and then have nothing to back it up with. But let's talk about characters. Yes. Russ. So let's list all of them and talk about each one individually. Perfect. Tell me about the characters. Just pick some of your favorites. <laughs> um, I mean, we have to talk about Surge and Kid are the are the main characters. Surge is the boy who died in one timeline when he was a kid and then survived in the other timeline. So he is the anomaly um, that is able to swap between the two timelines. And he's a protagonist that you think is a silent protagonist until he's evil. Yeah, exactly. Then he talks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) A lot, a lot. And then Link stops talking. Yeah. And then Kid is the main girl um, whose name is not really Kid, who is a character from the original Chrono Trigger. Um, So that kind of links it together. Um, And the best thing that you can do in the game is basically ignore Kid and try to kill her at every opportunity. (laughs) It's very true. Um, That gets you the best path. Yeah, just be mean to Kid is kind of the the go-to. The the other main character and the earliest one you can get is Poshul. (laughs) Oh, yes. Love big, big fluffy pink dog. Big who pink dog. When has... I started playing this game, by the way, I had the biggest crush on Kid when I was a kid playing this game. So now as an adult, I'm playing it and going, uh, well, no, yeah. it's because I've aged a lot and she hasn't. Now not, I'm remembering it weirdly not now. Not shocking whatsoever. It's like, hmm. In her little, in her little red skirt and her halter top. Well, she was just, she had that spunky, I'll kick you to the I moon attitude. I get it. I liked Glenn, which is one of the reasons you want to ignore Glenn, uh, ignore Kid, is you want to get Glenn. If exactly. you If you choose not to save Kid, then Glenn joins you, and Glenn is the best party member in the whole game. There are it's multiple times in this game where you were given choices as to what to do, and those choices result in branching paths, and those branching paths result in different recruitable characters. Mm-hmm. There's a total of, what, 46, 53, something? I think there's 45. There's 45. 45 recruitable characters. In order to recruit all of them, if you're playing perfectly, you can do it in three complete runs of the game. Two and a half, technically. Okay, true. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I think some of my favorites, for listing some of my favorites, I really like Marcy. Marcy is a little girl. Of course I would like Marcy. Marcy is a little girl who is a like high-ranking knight of the dragoons, and she fights. She has like wire, like wires that she fights with, and she's good at magic. Cradle. Yeah, and she's wearing a little pink dress. I like her. So, it, do you pronounce it Acacia dragoons? Yeah, Acacia. Okay, mm-hmm. my favorite Acacia dragoon is Zoa <laughs> because he's yeah. a giant, mostly naked man with a big iron helmet he's a dragon quest vendor yeah yeah and nobody asked him to dress that way there's no one else in the game (laughs) that looks like that correct and he's he is a member of a military that clearly has a uniform Mm -hmm. that covers the whole body the the devas they're the four devas so they get to they get to pick whatever they want to wear marcy can wear her pink dress and he can wear his little yellow shorts and his helmet it's not even shorts. It's it's a skirt with, yeah. the, with his like tidy whities poking out from the front. Trust me, I know this. Yeah, there's so many strange characters in this game too, and they though. get really weird. I mean, there's a turnip. There's a turnip. There's a, a clown skeleton that you mm-hmm. assemble Kelly. by finding his yeah. bones. Yep. I renamed him Scullivan because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> nice. uh, also, there is Fun Guy, a yes. man who turns into a mushroom it, right before your eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, a regular man who eats a mushroom, and now he joins your party as a mushroom man to fight for justice. Wielding an, a giant axe. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's 
mermaids. There's Here's the mermaid. I like the mermaid. There's a little baby dragon, draggy that I like. There's Ayla's mom as a child. From <laughs> correct, Leah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that she was her mom, but yeah. Th- there is a brief scene, like. If you play it right, you can get a scene where she says, huh, Ayla sounds like a good name for a kid. That's uh, that's as much as you get. But yeah. the implication is it's Ayla's mom. Gotcha. And Pip. We can't forget about Pip, but the, I feel like we need to talk about Pip and innovation. Pip the shapeshifter? <laughs> Pip, Pip, Pip is a Pokemon. I both love and hate the number of characters. The variety is very interesting, but the end result is you... Oh, Starkey, the alien. There's a There's a, there's a literal alien. alien. Starkey not only is a little alien, but he is a necessary and therefore main character. Yes. yes. He is part of the plot the main plot of yeah. this game but there's a lot of wasted potential because you don't get to learn a lot about the backstory of all these characters and some of them are really weird and unique uh i like greco greco is the example i really want to use here he is a psychic luchador exorcist <laughs> right like you do and that's it that's all you know yeah like you learn that when you recruit him and you basically learn nothing else about his life his history he has no real quests of his own. He has one character scene that deals with his, a, dead, past, right? a dead friend of his, yeah. Yeah. and that unlocks his ultimate skill. That's it. All the characters get a That's scene what most of character characters development. Get specifically to unlock their final skill. A psychic I... luchador exorcist could be the main <laughs> character of a movie franchise, and we don't get to spend any time learning about yeah. him. We don't get to learn about Macha either, really. Nope. She's Korcha's mom, and she folds up enemies like a shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she does. I love Macha. I, she is good another one. reason I never, ever help kid. Is yeah. Because you don't you get her. You get the better party members yeah, You all get around. her if you get Glenn, and if you go the other way, you get Korcha, and you get a, a fairy down the line. That's it. You do get, you get, Ra- now Razley is a good character, I think. Razley's good. one time, but you get such better characters yeah. if you don't help kid. Exactly. Accor- those, those two are for New Game Plus for me. Yeah. According to how long to beat, the average length of this game is about 40 hours. But there's a lot of fluctuation there, mm-hmm. depending on how you play it. The remaster came out. In the original, when you beat the game, you unlock some additional features. The ability to fast forward and slow down time. In the remaster, the game starts with those abilities, plus the ability to turn off random combat or to basically make yourself untouchable in combat. Mm-hmm. So depending on what settings you're using, that 40 hours can be 20 hours. Yeah. It can be 60 I hours. I haven't messed with the invincibility. Is it truly invincibility or is it... Um... Um, so how it works, when you activate it, your spell slots are always maxed out. And oh, you okay. literally cannot take damage. Oh, oh. Nothing can hurt you. Yeah, I never mess with those. but uh, I ended up messing with it to do some fast replays. Yeah, the only time that I've ever used one of those functions is in the Final Fantasy VIII remaster when I want to draw a bunch of spells. <laughs> That's the only time I've used those, like, fast forward. Do Is there anything else we want to say in story and characters before we go into this combat system? I mean, there's just, there's too much. There, there's yeah, we could go on all too day. Much to Chris, talk about. Is, there, is there a character or two that you wanted to mention? Um, so my favorite characters to use are mostly the black elemental characters, and that is Skelly. I love Skelly. He is great, um, Scullivan, to, to <laughs> you gentlemanly types. I actually don't think there's enough letters to fully spell that out, but that's a name I use. <laughs> Mojo and Guile? Mojo, yes. I like Mojo. Lucky Dan in Japan, as he's known, which, again, Jeremy Parrish has thoroughly covered that ground. <laughs> he had a whole page about Lucky, Lucky Dan, Dan that I found, you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> it was like maybe my first example of seeing somebody just being completely extra on the internet. <laughs> and yeah, Guile is really, really great. Uh, Guile, if you prefer. And um, mm-hmm. who he, is secretly Magus. He is implied to be Magus in Radical Dreamers. Yeah. However, his history of, you know, and also one of the endings of Chrono Trigger, like for the, um, for DS. the, for the DS. Uh, implies that Magus loses his memories at some point, so he could be. But he's actually more explicitly stated as being Magus in Radical Dreamers, and the guile that you run into in Chrono Cross is actually different from the guile in Radical Dreamers. So, you know, it's it's hairy. But he does act like a Magus would. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I should say, because we've mentioned Radical Dreamers, Chrono Cross is based off of a text adventure in Japan called Radical Dreamers, mm-hmm. 
when they they recently did a remaster uh, and they included for the first time an English version of Radical Dreamers. Nobody at this table has played it yet. Mm-mm. We may play it in the future and do a side quest mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, but that's Radical Dreamers is the original Japanese inspiration for this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's because it uses the same characters in a completely different way than Chrono Cross could be said to be an AU of like, you know, of Radical Dreamers and Chrono Trigger. And again, because it's a game that deals with time travel, it's, you know, it, it definitely can have a, a multiverse, yeah. you know, type this of This is kind of overlay. like the darkest timeline from Chrono Trigger, where a all the main bit, yeah. characters just died and the Kingdom of Guardia was taken over. And... By poor, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a place that really loves its beef jerky. <laughs> like, that's, that's all we know about it in Chrono Trigger. I just want to say, even though we don't really get to see her, I was always emotionally affected at the ending when you find out that Luca was like kids adopted mom and died because Luca as you'll know from our Chrono Trigger review many years ago is one of my favorite characters oh yeah Luca is best in all girl. video games and I almost cried talking about her personal journey Chrono, Luca Chrono totally Trigger. should have been in Smash Lu- Brothers by the way Luca and uh and Robo both of their stories and their relationship is one of my favorite things in Chrono Trigger, if not my favorite mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Although my actual preferred party is Chrono, Luca, and Frog, because Frog Flare is just Frog OP. Frog Flare is great. I know. Yeah. It's really anyway. Great. <laughs> Near the end and of the anybody, game. anybody, I just have to say, anybody who has Marley hug Chrono at Death Mountain or Death Peak is a monster. <laughs> Luca is supposed to hug Chrono Aww. on Death Peak. I, I do want to talk about at the near the end of this game, the story goes anime so hard, mm-hmm. so hard. Oh, there yeah. is, I mean, this plot is basically incomprehensible by it's, the end of the game. <laughs> I am going to share this sentence. I wrote it down, and you guys came back. It is almost verbatim what the game says, and this sentence made me roll my eyes so hard. Near the end of the game, it reveals spoilers. I guess uh, it reveals that one of the main characters is Shala's. The, from the first game, Shala's daughter clone sent through time to aid a dying young boy while Shala was merged with Lavos outside of reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? I mean, no. when you're talking about a daughter clone. Well, what? When you've... you've got a character like Shala who is super important and yet has zero development or personality, you can do things like that <laughs> and just be like, well, okay, she's a... Mystical, omniscient uh, She's merged with Lavos outside of reality. Here's the cry of one young boy, because no other young boys ever suffered in the history of the world. And so she created a daughter clone of herself and sent it back through time. Well, she heard him because he was in Chronopolis. So at no point could she send a daughter clone back in time to go, hey, Guile, here's where I am, by the way. Come save me. He didn't get to Chronopolis. Yeah, he was busy learning parlor tricks. Yeah. Making his wand disappear and reappear inside of an (laughs) enemy. Inside of an enemy. A very Joker-esque trick. That's a fun (laughs) trick. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the combat system. Okay, so if you're listening at home and you've never played it before, basically throw out any idea you've had about turn-based combat in any game. Because that's essentially what the creators of this game did, is they said, okay, we're going to be turn-based, but let's start from scratch and think what turn-based could be. (laughs) There's a stamina system, which determines how many actions a character can take in their turn. They ha- each character has three physical attacks, a weak, a medium, and a strong, which costs one, two, or three stamina points. The percentage that you will land a blow goes up with each successive successful attack. And then you can also cast magic, which uses like three stamina points. Well, it uses however much stamina the level of the spell is okay. with the slot. Because you, you have can it spend in. yourself into negative stamina, stamina and so then you, you have, have to a, wait to build it back up. If you have an element in a level four slot, then it will take that much stamina. So it is very cost. easy to spend yourself negative and then take longer to get your turn. And again. there are up to eight levels of stamina. Russ, do you want to explain the grid and element system? I mean, I can attempt to. Go for it. I, so there are, so rather than using magic in the sense that like Chrono and Marley and Luca and Frog were blessed with it in Chrono Trigger, 
you use an element grid system. There are six elements that sort of correspond to the elements we know. So there's red, blue, yellow, green, white, and black. And red spells are mostly like fire, blue spells are water and ice. And I keep calling them spells, but in the game, it, it, it differentiates that they are... Elements. Elements, which is like a paramagic system that anybody can use. Each character has an innate element. So Surge, your main character, his innate element is white. Kids is red. Um, if they're using elements that correspond to their innate element, <clears throat> they do a little bit more damage with that. They take a little bit more damage from their opposing element. So like white opposes black, yellow opposes green, red opposes blue. There is also the field effect system <clears throat> that takes place in battle. So in the upper left-hand corner of the screen, you have the field effect icon, which is a circle. It's like an oval with three different colors inside of it. Those colors correspond to the last three elements that were used and also either power up an element that's being used or power down the opposing element. And when you get the full field effect, you, you can use summons yes. of that color. With the full field effect, you can and use a summon. And only characters with the innate element can use summons of that element. Yeah, and uh, the other thing is that they completely like throw a, oh, you should have mastered this completely thoroughly because we've given you subtle clues as to how to get the actual ending of this game. Right. <laughs> Locked away behind knowing exactly this stuff, like yeah. 100%. Enough yeah. that you can you can catch a clue in a hidden yeah. in the background to Very like true. to to know the pattern of something to do. And even before that, I feel like the game and this this is the experience that I had on my very first playthrough is I I mean I understood the system but had not mastered it the first time I played this game. And once you get to Miguel, <laughs> Miguel <laughs> is an infamous boss fight. Yeah, about halfway through the game, he is one of the characters Lena's father. He is white element. You, at that point in the game, are Lynx, who is black element. And you're likely using Harley as well, who is also black. Who is also black element. And who also ties into the story in a very weird way. Right. And all of a sudden, they thrust you into this battle with a character with the opposing element and give him just an ungodly powerful attack that can instant kill your black element characters. And so all of a sudden, the game expects you to have mastered this element system in a way that it has not really prepared you for. <laughs> and it's worth noting game. that unlike other RPGs, you can't simply grind your way out of situations because there is no grinding right. in this game. Yeah. There, is, there actually, are no levels. Uh, so there sort of are levels. Yeah. Kind I of. Have, there are star levels rather than so character levels. So there are three types of level ups in this game. Star levels are when you beat a boss. And the game is usually pretty generous about what's considered a boss. I was going to say boss in quotes. <laughs> Sometimes you'll have three boss fights in a row. Sometimes you'll play for three hours without a boss fight. But star levels are massive boosts to stats and an increase in your element grid. Mm -hmm. And apply to every character in the game, whether they're in your party or recruited or not. So, star level And they're is, also happening for characters you haven't even recruited yet. Yes. Which is the thing that I did not find out until I, like, really, really dug into this game. So, in between star levels, there are mini boosts and mini levels. I had to really dive deep to learn this stuff, so we're sharing it now. <laughs> mini boosts and mini levels are based on the number of fights, no matter how hard the opponent is. So, you can grind these out at the opening section of the game, even if you're at the end of the game. Just go back and fight slimes, essentially. Each character gets one mini level between star levels, and it's, it happens after... So, first you get the mini boosts. Four to eight Mini I love that you're this invested in this. I never would have thought you'd be. I had. I wanted to learn on what the same the level that I am. I wanted to learn what was going on. So the first four to eight battles after a, a boss, you will gain a point in a stat. Somewhere in there, you will gain a. You will get your mini level, which is earning one to two points for one to two stats, and then after that, fighting random battles. D get you nothing, nothing until the next star level materials and money yeah, yeah. but no that's that's what chris meant by there is no grinding to get better there is 
pretty much a hard cap as to yeah. how high, how your stats can get boosted. But that's also kind of a good thing because that means that the game never throws anything at you that you can't do, but it does require that you use planning and right. and knowledge of your situation and like you know, actually have read the tutorials, etc. Yeah. yeah, but I also found okay. it a little frustrating because it meant, you know, as I'm going through this dungeon, it, apart from getting items and stuff that you can use to craft, I'm not getting anything out of these combats. Like, I'm fighting these random encounters, and my characters aren't getting any stronger for it. I'm putting myself at risk and having to use healing items and all that and getting nothing in return. And thank so, God you can just avoid all of the enemies. Yeah, which is why it's kind of nice that they give you the, here, just turn off random encounters yeah. button in the remake. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the original, you always can see the enemy. Yes. Yes, you, no can, you can try and dodge around most of them. They are visible encounters, which I appreciate. Some of them are easier to dodge around than others. But yeah. Well, they got to have you doing something in the game. Now, Can't just at, stand around. At the end of each battle, it gives you the option to use any unused element power that you built up to heal your party. Yes. And I think that's love a nice it. touch. That's I like, love that. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, because it, it doesn't cost you anything to do it that way, because there are usable items. And even the consumable healing items are so cheap. Yeah. yeah I it, never felt like that was a problem. Exactly. Usable healing items go into your grid just like your infinite yeah. use healing spells. Mm. That was one of the things that I had to figure out the first time I played the game is how they have all of these different elements that are consumable items. And I remember being in the sand dragon desert place for the first time and I fell and got a sprain. Oh, yeah. And this little icon appears in the lower part of the screen that was a little yellow circle. And it's like sprain. And I'm like, what in the hell is that? I've sprained my ankle. What's happening? And it took me, I had to look it up to figure out that you use a yellow element consumable item. Each element has its own special injury status. Yeah, like a status effect. Green is poison, poison. black is blind, or white is blind? Uh, I can't uh, remember. Black is blind and white is something. They each have one. I know yellow is spraying. Yellow is (laughs) spraying. Red is burned. Yes, and freeze. Yeah, frozen, and then I can't remember what white is for the life of me, but it is something. Yeah. Because I was, like, obsessed with RPGs at the time. Like, I would look in the elemental stores and see all these things, and it'd be like, cure sprain, cure spoil. And I'm like, none of this has happened to me, though. So I had the opposite effect, where the first time it happened to me, I was like, oh, finally, I get to use one of these items. (laughs) One other thing that's very interesting, and I think... It's in there because they do want you to master this strange system. You can always successfully run away from boss fights. Yes. Love it. Never seen that in a JRPG. Except for one that I'm aware of, Polly. You can't run away from Polly. I did not know that, but Mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense. It's the only one I know of. I think there might be two, but you can't run away from Polly. Polly, You can run away, and then Polly will say, what are you doing? And then you'll immediately (laughs) go back into battle. Giant parrot, by the way, Polly. Oh, we know Polly. Yeah. Oh, um, this is just going to be, this is a, you can pick that up moment for me. (laughs) So Russ gets to laugh at me for uh, failing to understand a simple concept of the game. It wasn't until the end of the game I realized what I'm about to say isn't true. Your characters always go in the turn order that they are listed in your (laughs) party. (laughs) Right. So if you wanted to have your characters go in a different order, you needed to rearrange the order that they were standing in your party. Until I got near the (laughs) end of the game and realized you can actually, when you're selecting what to do, Mm -hmm. just go left or right and pick somebody else and have them go. Jesus. Yes. The only thing keeping you from acting in a turn is the stamina. Yeah. You can use the characters in any order, no matter where they are in your party. The game does not tell you that. It does not tell you that. And I found out on my own. Yeah. I like that. That's a good um, thing. Oh, and the talking so much about the element grid, the summoning system, getting new summons. That is not something that I ever figured out how to do until I probably until I like played this on the Vita. Yeah, you got to track them down. You have to track them down. There's certain you know, there's there's Trap like elements. there's one summon, the Frog Prince that, that the game get. like gives you and sort of tells you about the summoning system and then all, all the other elements you have to get 
by getting special elements, that, a special element called a trap element, and then you have to get into a battle with a particular enemy, and then you have to get the field effect to be fully one color. So you have to get like three whites or three blacks or and whatever. And then hope that enemy. And then once you do, then that enemy has a chance of using the element on you. And if you have placed the trap element, then you get the summon rather than the summon happening on you. And then you have the summon and you can use the summon. Yeah, it's a treasure hunt. And I did not have a clue that any of that existed the first time I played it. I thought, why did it give me this one blue summon and give me this whole tutorial on summons? And then, like, the blue characters are the only ones that can even use it. And this is the era where summoning is, like, the most important thing in the world. It's literally, like, the entire plot device of Final Fantasy IX. Yes. So it's, like so weird and i um and yeah and then when i played it not this last time i played it because i wanted to just sort of blast through the story but on the vita i think is when i figured that out and i went out and got all the summons and my favorite one is mothership which is a black summon that just summons a ufo and uh i knew all this from the first time i beat the game because i just went ahead and beat it with a guide i was like nuts to this (laughs) figuring out stuff yep you that that guide was a great thing to have yeah, and, you know, unless it was Final Fantasy IX, you could buy a guide and just, like, you know, play through the game like that. And then if it was Final Fantasy IX, you had to <laughs> get online. Get on, Go on Play Online today. Mm-hmm. But buy a book to tell you to get on the internet. Exactly. So are we ready to move from combat to innovations, even though we've covered almost all of I mean, we've covered a lot of innovations. innovations. Well, yeah. Usually hey, innovations is our biggest subject. I think it might be a little lighter this time around, but let's... Give it a shot. Let's go yeah, to innovations. We, we've, been, we've been kind of talking about innovations ever since talking about the experience system. So I mean, so much of it is combat. Combat is so different in this game. And, uh, you know, I think that another innovative thing is the language algorithm. Mm-hmm. So your 45 different characters use about 10 different styles of potentially problematic um, accents and yeah. respellings <laughs> of words. And, you know, most commonly seen in. Yeah, it just adds suffix to words a lot yeah. of the time. <laughs> Mo- Mojo seems a little racist in 2022. Yeah, I was going to say Mojo's maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, Greco speaking of which. Mm, yeah. um, mm. Anyways, here's the thing is that because you had 45 characters and they always would have dialogue if you were in a storyline, because this game actually does acknowledge that characters are in your party, which is actually super rare for uh, RPGs at the time, because that was just so much work. Or Octopath Traveler. Yeah. <laughs> the They came up with a, a kind of, I don't know if algorithm is the right word, but they came up with basically like a program where they would have a stock dialogue that could be translated on the fly depending on which character was in your party and which accent they were using. So every line of uh, dialogue in the game did not have to be rewritten. It could be remade um, using that program. As far as I know, like I don't know any other game that has done that. Yeah. So that was pretty innovative. Almost all of your equipment you get via crafting. Yeah, uh, it, you, mm-hmm. you don't usually go to a weapon store and buy, you know, ooh, silver sword. Right. Mm-hmm. Or find it in a chest. Mm-hmm. It's from crafting, you which craft you get it. from the random And comments. disassembling, which again, is another thing that I didn't figure out when uh-huh. I was first playing the game that you can get. I actually learned this from speedrunning that you can get a steel swallow, which is immediately yeah. weapon from disassembling the profiteer purse that you get as soon as you reach termina mm-hmm. because you can get iron yeah it definitely makes you look out for things like that and mm-hmm. then there's like you know uh the rainbow weapons and stuff like that mm-hmm. also which is a callback to chrono trigger but you need to do like a whole thing for that you need to have uh the best blacksmith in the world working with his alternate universe self essentially <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty great. I like the characters meeting their alternate universe. Yeah, there's cells. a lot of fun to be had fun. there. Yeah, and that's that's what I like about this game is that is as serious and and impenetrable as the overall plot is. 
the game itself is kind of a romp. It mm-hmm. is. Rush, you wanted to talk about Pip. Yes, Pip. Pip is the is Pip is a Pokemon. I was going to say Pip is the original Pokemon, but Pokemon came out a little bit before this game. Yeah. But Pip is a experiment created by Lucia, who's a scientist. Not to be confused with Luca, despite also having purple hair and glasses. Yeah, and having almost the exact same name. That threw me off as a kid. Yeah. Um, But she creates Pip, who is this little, looks like a little white mouse thing um, or squirrel. Uh, when you first meet him, and he wants to go on a, on a journey around the world. So you let him out of his cage, and then a little bit later he joins you um, to go on this journey around the world. Pip evolves based on the elements that you use in battle. Based on the elements that Pip uses in battle. And everybody else uses. Really? Yes. You get more points towards an evolution for if Pip uses an element, but you get some points toward an evolution if your other characters or the enemies use a particular element, it's every element that shows up on that grid. Pip has five forms. So Pip can ev- can evolve into an angel form or a devil form. Um, essentially, if you use red, yellow, or black elements, he evolves towards a devil form. Um, always cute. He's always cute, which is what I love about him. He's like a Pokemon that remains cute. Even the when difference he gets is the, final evolution. I believe the devil form is stronger physically, physically. than magically, and the angel mm-hmm. form is the opposite. And if you use red, yellow, or black, he evolves towards devil. If you use white, blue, or green, he evolves towards angel. His initial element is now I forget. Is it red? Is it I don't initial? remember. I thought it was. I thought it was white to start, but I could be wrong. Okay. Well. Um, but it changes as he changes. Yes. So as you, so if you use, let's say, like black elements the most, leading up to his first evolution, then his element will be black when he evolves into his devil form. If you use yellow the most, it will be yellow, so on. Then after he evolves once, you can get him to evolve again, and he can evolve into like a super devil form or a super angel form, or then his fifth form is called the holy beast. Um, and it's like the a, a middle ground, and it's basically if you have him evolve like to the devil side, and then you go back to the angel side, you get a holy beast. Hmm. And the times that he levels, uh, the when he actually evolves is when you get new stars. So it's like the amount of elements that he's used towards this evolution in between stars. And I should say, so stars have one other function; they are the mana for summoning. And it took mm-hmm. me a while to Correct. figure that out. So every time, so say your star power is 20 and you have summons. I don't know if that's even realistic. I think you beat the game at like 35 star power. So, But you can hold 99 because it carries over. Yeah. So yeah, say you've got 20 so. and you've got a summon. So the first time you summon it, the next time you get a star power, it'll say, oh, you have 20 of 21 stars now. Right. And it, for a while I was like, what, what happened? That number is getting out of sync. <laughs> it's getting further out of sync. This is literally the only reason I would ever use an inn, because that's what restores that star power, is sleeping <laughs> right. at an inn. Yep. I mean, considering you get the star from beating up, like, Salt and Pepper anyway. Yeah. That's, oh, why I mean, did we mention like, them in characters? Oh, they're so good. Oh, they are very funny. They're they're basically and, the tutorial and enemies. Ketchup. And Ketchup, if you take the worst path. Yes. The easiest slash worst path to, to the... The castle. Yeah, salt and salt and pepper are great. They are the comic relief villains that keep low, recurring. Low ranking Acacia dragoons. And their job is to teach you how the element system works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through through failure and and more failure. They're a lot of fun. I don't know why you can't just ultimately recruit one of them. Do we have anything else under innovations that we want to talk about? No, I see a bunch of people shaking their heads. No. So let's talk about music. Well, Chrono Cross has never been known as a big deal in music, so... (laughs) Nothing to talk about there. Let's glaze over this. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Okay, so Chrono Cross is considered by most video game music likers as the best, if not just, you know, top five, top ten, whatever, uh, soundtracks of all time. The intro music... To the to the beginning cinematic, which goes real hard, by the way, and especially with spoilers, I I recommend people who don't like spoilers not to watch the uh, intro movie. 
But anyways, <laughs> you know, we didn't care about that stuff back no, in the not 2000. But yeah, the song is called Time's Scar. We sometimes call it Tim's Car. Nice. And uh, yeah, and it frequently sails to the like number one place on people's like best music of all time. So the, uh, the soundtrack it features the return of Yasunori Mitsuda, who created the music to Chrono Trigger, which I believe was one of his first gigs. In fact, he was kind of coming in to fill out the rest of the stuff that, that, you know, they couldn't get Nobuo Uematsu to, to finish. Cause you know, this is a, it, Chrono Trigger was a, was a, a marvelous jam of like the Dragon Quest people and the Final Fantasy people. Though like the, uh, the story that everybody praises so much is like 80%, you know, Yuji Hori, who is the Dragon Quest guy that I'm getting away from this. <laughs> Yasunori Mitsuda basically, yeah, came in, completely rocked it, uh, almost destroyed his health in the process apparently because he is a classic overworker. And that shows in Chrono Trigger, or sorry, Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. So Chrono Cross opens strong with just this tantalizing, like, you know, uh, classical guitar and, like, violins and just hand drum beats and things like that. You know, it's very kind of world music-y, a little bit Celtic, a little bit everything. But it just kind of, like, becomes its own thing. And it just, for the rest of the game, just does not let up on just beautiful, like, lush, like you know, melodies and things like that. And just like the instrumentation is so perfect. You know, when you go outside for the first time, you know, the, the town theme is great. That's, that's kind of like the first thing you hear, but then you go out to the outside world and it's just this really nice steel drum kind of tropical arrangement of the Chrono Trigger theme. So it's the same melody that you recognize, but done up to inform you, Hey, we're on a really beautiful Island. And, Mm -hmm. uh, love it. Yeah, and in the in the one and a half seconds that it takes you to walk to the first dungeon, quote unquote, <laughs> the beach, you get to hear the lizard dance, which is just this awesome little, you know, starts off with just one little ding, 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 ding. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I try to make it a point not to try and sing the melodies, but <laughs> it starts with just one little dingy string instrument, and then just this whole like funk groove comes in, but it's still using like these acoustic like kind of world instruments and uh then you get into alternate universe which has another world theme which completely flips the scene around to being this melancholy cello driven mm-hmm. kind of tune and it's just beautiful and i always le- would just leave this map on for like ever the, I, mine yes. was the opposite one i liked the home world they're both yeah. yeah they're both excellent the only thing is that the regular battle music theme of which you will hear a lot <laughs> Starts off with the busiest noise of notes that I still I associate it with like the with the the battle theme and getting into like another battle and stuff. That, but it's like it's such a a not like you expect in a JRPG for the themes to be rock, but mm-hmm. it's really not. It's just this kind of fluty mess of like stuff that eventually becomes like more of a song. But it's like yeah, yeah the first part of the battle theme will 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 irritate you. <laughs> uh, fortunately, it's got one of the best boss themes of all time, so mm-hmm. that's that's True. perfectly acceptable. But yeah, just anywhere that there's new music, you know, when you finally do get to Termina and it's this Celtic bouncy like you know thing with like accordions and, uh, and I can violins. I can hear it in my head right now. Yeah, yeah. uh huh. It's it's just every track in this game, like you just get so excited to hear like a new track, even. Normally, I don't like the dank dungeon theme. That is to say something that's slow and plotty and kind of sinister. But this one has such it uh, like when you go to like the one island that's made of like bones and stuff. And it's also Mm -hmm. one of the Hydra Marsh themes. But it's the one that starts off with just this boom. Just like this huge bass note that just comes in and then it starts doing like the hand drums and stuff to it. Even that you're just like, oh, yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's it's an extremely exciting soundtrack, and it, it rightfully sits at the top of a lot of people's lists, including mine. Um, I would actually even say it's an improvement over Chrono Trigger, and that's mm-hmm. I know that seems like kind of a hot take, but when you're just talking about the music of Chrono Cross, it's that's almost the safest thing to say about it when comparing it to the other game. So there you go. Yeah. What? 
I, can I have my research back on them? There was one oh. interesting thing I saw about the composer that I wanted to share. Oh, sure. Uh, I do the minimal uh, audio res- or music research, and then Chris usually doesn't need it because... I didn't look at that paper. <laughs> no, nope. Uh, but what I found interesting about the composer is he claims to just compose music by just fooling around on the keyboard and letting melodies come to him, and sometimes he comes up with the songs in his sleep, like the ending theme to Chrono Trigger. Here's... Um... <laughs> Here's a little secret, though, about writing music. That's how most of everyone does it. <laughs> I'm just fiddling around with something. Oh, I like that. And then, you know, you write that down, and that's music. Well, he did a good job. He did. His dreams did a great job of writing the ending to Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Like I said, this is this is a game that made me recognize music. My, my video game music trajectory was Luffy and the Fortress of Doom, the intro, yeah. as you're getting the backstory on Doom Island. Then... Chrono Trigger getting to Zeal. It was the oh, Zeal yeah. theme that captured me. Then everything about Zeal captured my in Chrono Cross. I started up the game, left Arnie Village for the first time, and then just sat there and listened to the music on the Homeworld map. And that's when it clicked in my head, like, oh, game music is like a real. Is like a real thing, <laughs> like a real art form. This is the, here. this is a melody I recognize, yeah. and it's being presented in a different way. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we've run a little longer than normal because there's just a lot to talk well, about. It's in this a great game. game. So let's go ahead and move on to our final thoughts. Yes. My final thought should be obvious. One of my top, this is, I would say this is actually my second favorite game of all time. Earthbound is one, this is two. Earthbound is one because it inspired a friendship as well as being a great game. Chrono Cross is two because it inspired an appreciation of video game music as well as just being an amazing game. Um, So I would give this, you know, five Shalas trapped (laughs) in a time void out of five. (laughs) Nice. Five alternate universe shalas. (laughs) Yeah, I similarly, uh, I've always been an outspoken proponent of this game, especially to people who, like, people who were disappointed by it in its proximity to Chrono Trigger. I say, you know, that having had enough time to replay the game and, like, kind of read about it and, like, kind of think about it, I'm like, you know, I actually even like the way this game ties in Chrono Trigger, and that's... Again, that that may seem like hot take territory, but I uh, I truly love what this game went for, and there's only two major criticisms that keep it out of my like. I'd say it's probably in my top ten favorite JRPGs, but it's it's not in my top ten favorite games, and there's two reasons. Uh, one is that you change protagonists due to a uh, due to a very convoluted mm-hmm. plot point, and you then spend about I, I measured this it's 25 to 30 percent of the rest of the game as as this other character that you don't care about and the amount of stuff that you have to do while not being able to be yourself is it was always irritating to me it was kind of neat that that transition happened at the disc swap yes for me because you can't get this on the modern remake, obviously, but right. the original game came on two discs, mm-hmm. and that big dramatic character swap was the disc swap point, yes. which to me made it feel even bigger. Yeah, yeah, but then it's like, well, now you have to go f- to uh, speak with all six dragons that you know you can speak to, and you got to do this and that, and these side quests, and this side quest, and recruit like ten more characters, all as this other character, and it's just like I was like, man, they could have just had me swap, do, like, a couple of dramatic points, and then save the six dragons for, like, when I turned back, and, you know. But anyways, it, it just, it it messed with the pacing for me in a major way. And that's, again, personal, but it's... As a what, rebuttal, I've heard that it has inspired a lot of furries. <laughs> well, okay, that's um, good then. Yeah, so... And we are going to talk about uh, Breath of Fire oh, yes. at some point, so that's, uh... <laughs> we could talk plenty about where furries come from. But yeah, and... Love to the furry community. Yeah, and it's not even that the character's... Well, the character is bad, that's the idea, but it's like... 
you know, it's also that it's a black elemental character, and then that's also the only time in the game you get to use Harley, who's one of my favorite characters, who is also black elemental. Mm-hmm. So it really messes with your with your vibe unless you're really into black elemental, which, by the way, I always just throw in another black elemental character. And just, <laughs> they like, they so are my it. favorite metal band, black elemental. The black elemental. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then you uh, find Miguel. The second is the final final boss and the mechanic that they throw in at you at the last second with no warning and how it's you have to like get it right i got it right because i used a guide (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i i would be so uh resentful of that move if i didn't use a guide to get through it and i'm like i think this is just here to sell guides Uh, yeah or you know or whatever, because like there's no possible way it is frustrating. Was supposed to intuit this, yeah. It doesn't make you do anything like that, yeah. Ever before the end of the game, it, playing yeah. through it this time, I I knew it was coming, and I was able to see the hints as to how to like. I got how you were supposed to be able to do this without a guide, only because yeah. I had done it before mm, with one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the only other thing I can think of is because it's more obvious when you actually do play through the game. I think it was meant to be a new game plus oh, here's the actual good ending. But it's like, if you got that other ending and then you were like, I'm going to play through the entire game again, like, I don't I don't know that that would happen. But So for me, it, it's a really great game. I've mentioned a couple of the pain points I had where I thought the, the plot got a little preachy or way too anime. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Overall, I, I give it an A-. It's, it's still a great game. They tried a lot of new things, most of which worked. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it when a game tries new stuff instead of just going with the formulas. Uh, and I especially appreciate it when the new stuff works. I do still think Chrono Trigger is the better game. So You're with the majority. You're yeah. entitled to your opinion. No, but it is, it is a great game and a good time. Uh, Russ, if they want to play Chrono Cross... Well, the best way to probably play it at this point is to get the Radical Dreamers edition on your PS5 or PS4 or Switch or PC or maybe on an xbox i don't know about that yeah radical dreamers edition is great mm-hmm. um by the way the soundtrack for that one was uh kind of remade but in that way that unless you're real familiar with it you probably won't even be able to tell <laughs> so for plugs i want to plug a tv show called art flag means death i've heard of this show if the idea of a comedy about a gay pirate ship appeals to you this is the show for you. Okay. You it, really like pirates. Last episode, you talked about a woman dressing up as a pirate. Now you're talking about gay pirates. Uh, Our Flag Means Death stars Taiku Bat- what? Taika Watiti as gay leather daddy Blackbeard. Okay. And he's literally wearing the costume from Mad Max um, Road Warrior. Okay. Which is hysterical to me. Um, it is not... It has historical figures, but it is not worried about historical accuracy. And it really is, let's be gay, do crimes. That's what it is. (laughs) That's the show. It's a lot of fun. By the time you hear this, season two is probably out. I watched it, and it's it's just a damn good time. Which, uh, the other main character is Reese Darby, who, if you've watched uh, Flight of the Concords back in the day, was their manager, Murray. I love Reese Darby. Yeah, he's the other main character. He was also... uh, Corin, I believe was his name, in the Transformers. Not Transformers. Voltron animated series. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's great. Russ, what do you have to recommend? This time, I'm I'm recommending, as as I've told you, I've been on a sort of visual novel adventure game sort of kick Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I've recently completed a game on my Switch called AI The Somnium Files. Which I heard that one's good. Is, yeah, Chris it, is firing up his Switch to go <laughs> look shop for it right now. AI Somnium Files is very good. It is by, I'm going to Google his name as I tell you this. Um, it is by the same guy who did the Zero Escape series on the, the DS and 3DS and Vita. They are, it is Kotaro Uchikoshi. And the games, it is a, it is a, visual novel adventure game with puzzles mixed in um and it explores a lot of like pseudoscience concepts and like mythology and folklore and the characters are really over the top the characters are very extra 
Um, they're very <laughs> over the top. We taught my mother that term this weekend. Yes. She's very excited about it. <laughs> Excellent. So they're all very extra. They're all very out there. Um, it has a good sense of humor on top of being um, just an interesting murder mystery to solve. And because all of the games, it's not a spoiler to say, all of the games are kind of about parallel timelines, parallel worlds. I've always liked that concept, and it's interesting exploring what happens in this murder mystery in parallel worlds. Chris? I'm going to shout out a uh, a game that came out pretty recently that I think a lot of people are going to overlook because it might not be in the RPG likers like, you know, wheelhouse. But uh, it's called Wreckfest, and it is a demolition derby game that's available on Switch and I think Steam and probably PlayStation 4 or whatever, but I actually don't remember if it's on PlayStation yet. But uh, it is a a demolition derby game that is completely bazonkers. You, uh, one of your first missions is to do a, you know, uh, a 15 against one demolition derby where everybody's riding lawnmowers <laughs> and you can create like all these custom like games and such where you can put everybody else on a lawnmower, but you get to drive a combine harvester. <laughs> uh, it has this slew of cars that are like close to name brand cars, but none of them are name brand. Mm. And uh, they, they, when you buy them, they're a wreck and you can like kind of work on them and stuff like earning money and you earn money through doing again, demolition derbies and special challenges. And it has weird unlockables such as literally driving a couch with a steering wheel. Nice. So it's kind nice. of like recreating the, the, look of how you're looking while playing this game in your living room you can literally put yourself into a race driving a couch and i just i love this game it i put a lot of hours into it so far and it's been very very fun very nice all right well that's it for this time guys join us next time we're going to take a look back at the last nine games that we played talk about some tropes some likes some dislikes you know the game we've done this very special episode a number of times now we'll see you then we will see you then bye 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 The RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on YouTube at youtube.com slash centaurproductions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. You can find Chris on Twitch at twitch.tv slash liarexaggerate or on Twitter at EnrichFlavor. Thank you for listening and remember to save your game before powering off this podcast. <laughs>